Hi there, this is the Cory Doctor podcast, back from vacation, uh, and here in London at my office. Uh, later start to this podcast than usual. Normally, I would be doing this first thing in the morning uh, after doing a few little bit of administrative bits and pieces. But having just gotten back to the office after uh, nearly three weeks away, um, I've only just finished the administrative pieces, and it's nearly 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, it has been quite uh, a lot of administrative junk to do. But uh, the good news is that I've gone through all my posts and all my emails and everything else. I've got a big backlog of blog posts. But apart from that, I'm really... Um, well caught up and feeling pretty good about it. Uh, the trip was fantastic. We, we went down to Florida. My, my parents rented a house there and we went down, my brother and sister-in-law and their kids went down and uh, my brother's in-laws and we have cousins, my grandmother's down there and we all just sort of hung out and really uh, got to enjoy each other's company. A couple of days at the beach before the weather turned very, very cold. It actually went below freezing for a while in Florida, which I didn't think was possible. Uh, and then we went to Disney World for a week, uh, first with the baby and my parents, and then after a couple of days, my, my folks went home. It was a superb trip to Disney World. I haven't been there in nearly three years. It's a long time for me. I've been to Disneyland and Tokyo Disneyland since then, but, uh, but not... Um, Walt Disney World, which is the big mother of a park, and it was my first park, so it's uh, it's got a sentimental place in my heart. Uh, you can find lots of uh, my running notes from that. I actually tweeted the whole trip on my little uh, G1 phone, which I managed to use up the entire battery every day by about 4 o'clock just by using Twitter. If you're thinking about buying a G1, think about getting another charger and another battery if you're out of the house for much time. Uh, although that said, I've got a Nexus 1 coming, and I'm looking forward to playing with that. Anyway, uh, so if you go back through my tweets, you'll find it. I'm, I'm Dr. O on Twitter. Um, one thing that I was very excited by at Disney World was the new version of the Haunted Mansion, which fans of my first novel, Down and Out the Magic Kingdom, know has a very, very soft spot in my heart. Uh, they've really done a good job with the new version of the of the uh, park, uh, of the mansion, rather. Um, I've been back now since Saturday. I came back on my own with the baby uh, Friday night, overnight on the on British Airways. Uh, Alice, my wife, has stayed in the States. She's gone to New York for a conference with Dana Boyd and Clay Shirky, where she'll be speaking and um, she has left me to be single parent for a change. Normally, it's the other way around, I, I'm sad to say, where um, she comes home and I stay on to do a few days' work after our trips. So it's been kind of a, an interesting perspective. It was really nice to have the baby all weekend, just to myself, though. She's, uh, she's really, really, really a delight. Um, boy, was she a lot of fun. We, we spent about two hours just sort of wrestling on the bed and tickling, uh, with me tickling her, uh, yesterday afternoon. I haven't had more fun. There's so much fun, and I can't tell you how long. Um, and she's been really good with the jet lag. She's been going to sleep every night at 7, and I've been waking her up at 7 in the morning. Normally, she gets up around 5, which has been pretty interesting. Let's hope that it... Uh, Let's hope that it sticks with it tonight and that her sleep stays really good because, uh, as any parent will tell you, your kid's sleep is one of the biggest determinants of your quality of life. And so far, it has been so, so very good. Um, so uh, I finished Martian Chronicles, as I think I mentioned before the holidays, and I'm working on this story. Uh, working title is Clockwork Fagan for this steampunk young adults uh, anthology that Kelly Link and Gavin Grant are editing. And then I'm doing a story called Shannon's Law for the... Um, for the uh, uh, new Borderlands anthology. And uh, then I'm doing one more story, um, a story for shareable.net. I haven't decided what it's going to be about yet, but I've got about 2,500 words to play with. When that's done, uh, I'm done writing short stories um, for at least a year, I think. 
and uh, then I'm going to, in that time, I'm going to write another novel, uh, my next young adult novel called Pirate Cinema. My agent really likes the pitch, and my foreign agents really like the pitch, and my editors really like the pitch, so uh, I better start working on the book. Um, so that's all the news that's fit to print. Uh, here's a little bit more from Martian Chronicles. Looking at the slider here and my text editor, I'm thinking probably uh, three more readings to go, and then I'm going to go back and read you the story that I wrote after I finished this for Open University. Um, and uh, what did I call that one? Uh, I called it... Oh yeah, Censored. Uh, it's a little story for the uh, for their curriculum unit on... Um, on, on ubi ubiquitous computing. It should just be a single reading. And then I'll get into reading to you from uh, Clockwork Fagan. Uh, the other news I should point out, actually, is that Jonathan Strawn, the editor for this uh, for Martian Chronicles for the Life on Mars anthology, has read it, loves it, and we're all good to go. Anyway, here we go. Here's how you get to Mars. First, you boost for a couple of hours at 1G, which gets your ship really moving. Since there's nothing in space to stop it, except a few stray hydrogen atoms and the odd gust of solar wind, it'll just coast Marswards pretty much forever. So you switch the engines off and ride your momentum ever and ever Marsward. If you've timed it all correctly, Mars should also be moving toward you, swinging around the sun at 13.3 kilometers per second and closing fast. Once you're closer to Mars than you are to Earth, you flip the ship over so that your main antenna array is pointed at the red planet, and reboot the ship's computers, bringing them back online running a Mars-compliant OS that runs on Martian time. Then, about 90 days later, you turn the engines back on and boost away from Mars for a few hours, because 13.3 kilometers per second and closing fast is fast. Fast enough to turn your rocket into a cloud of atoms and a giant shockwave if you run into Mars instead of going into a gentle orbit around Phobos space for transfer to a ground shuttle. We were almost at turnaround, which meant that we were nearly equidistant from Mars and the Earth. That meant that almost no one was playing the game anymore, because it was at 640 seconds of latency, meaning that a message sent to Earth took 320 seconds to get there, and 320 seconds to get back, which made playing the game nearly impossible. I'd planned to do an orderly shutdown of the DBOS Corp long before this, liquidating my shares and giving the proceeds to a charity that helped new players get established in the game, then leaving my lieutenants to break up the firm's assets according to their share blocks and either merge with other corps or try and make it on their own. Without my authorization, none of that would be possible, and the company would just putter on for a couple of months until the fact that there was no one at the steering wheel caught up with it and it crashed. I put far too much work in it to allow that to happen. Or at least that's how I'd felt when we'd left for Mars. Now, in the middle of the black and endless sky, it was hard to figure out what was so important about this imaginary company and its imaginary money. But there was a certain peace in shuffling the paper for my old, familiar company, making the spreadsheets dance to their traditional tunes. I was breaking up my stock, modifying the board, changing the org chart to shuffle corporate officers around. My lieutenants had been sending me increasingly worried notes by long-delayed email, asking me when I'd get around to this, promising good-naturedly to give me a real good thumping when they got to Mars if I didn't see to this in good time. Well, now they'd be happy." I fired off the signed orders to the Earthside game server and waited patiently while the speed of light oozed its way across the reaches of outer space and over to planet Earth and then back again. But then it was done and the strings were cut. I was free. The company was no longer mine. I was, as of this moment, not a player in either the Earthside or the Marsside Martian Chronicles. I found I was pretty happy. 
I set off down the corridor, whistling, heading for one of the observation decks, where there was a huge video wall that displayed the view of space before us, Mars glowing with enhanced color. I was whistling The Red Hills of Mars, a folk song that I'd learned at Mars Camp when I was all of six years old, and as I made my way along, someone else joined in, her whistle a very tuneful trill. Yes, her. It was a grown-up, in a uniform. Specifically, it was Laney, as in Laney, Laney, no complainy, making her way down the same corridor just a meter or two behind me. She smiled at me as she drew near, her normal theatrical scowl disappearing. You sure seem happy about something, she said. I shrugged. I never knew what to say to Laney. She was everywhere, all the time, and always seemed to know the gossip before any of the colonists did. She was the only one on the ship who'd actually been to Mars. She'd lived there for ten years and returned to Earth on the first ship back to retrieve and orient the next batch of colonists. "'Just closed out my Martian Chronicles account,' I said. "'It's kind of nice not to have to worry about it for a while, at least until turnaround.' She nodded. "'David Smith, right? D-Boss Corp?' "'You know it?' I couldn't believe it. "'Oh, sure. There's only a thousand of you here. I know a lot about all of you.' She tapped her temple. Trick memory. But you stand out, of course. D-Boss Corp, that's a legend. I shook my head. Not a lot of grown-ups pay attention to Martian Chronicles, I said. You really play? I played on the Mars side server, she said. Lots of us did. Gave us something to do. Helped us to get to know each other after we made Planetfall. And so I looked up the game when I got to Earth. Watched it. Didn't play, though. No time. Not while we were getting the eagle ready. I said very carefully... I hear it's a very different kind of game on Mars. I didn't want her to know about VJ's eavesdropping, but I also felt a weird kind of kinship with her, wanted to open up to her. Oh, you hear, do you? Her face was still friendly, but I could hear a hint of the familiar sternness in her voice. People do talk. I was self-conscious, like I'd said too much, blown it. I started to mumble an apology and move on, but Laney stopped me. David, she said, her voice low. I know how rumors spread. I wouldn't want you going away with the wrong impression. Why don't you stop by my cabin during office hours, and we'll chat about this. She looked away, checking her workspace. Laney and the crew all had working workspaces on the Eagle. The rest of us had to use handheld computers, and said, Start in an hour. I'll book you in for my first slot, okay? It wasn't really a question. Okay, I said, and felt a jet of sick fear. Spreading dispiriting rumors was one of the worst kinds of whining on the eagle, and Laney had lots of punishments, big and small, that she could use to punish offenders. The next hour was an agony of worry. I didn't want to go home, didn't want to go to the J.C. lounge, didn't want to run anyone I knew, so I ended up hanging around Laney's cabin on deck one, the crew deck, waiting for her hours to start. As soon as the clock ticked over to ship's 1100, her door clunked open, and there she was, in her crisp ship's uniform, clean lines, and a single gold braid around her left bicep. Mr. Smith, she said, how good of you to come. She stood aside and ushered me in. Her quarters were twice as big as the cabin that my whole family shared, and it felt very spacious, even though our house back on earth had had bathrooms bigger than her entire cabin. She had her own bathroom, I noticed. She had a little writing desk and some pieces of red Martian rock in a frame over her folded-up bunk. The room was as neat as a pin, not a single thing out of place, no dust or dirt. Compared to the rest of the eagle, grubby, buckled, it was like an operating theater. Sit, please, she said, gesturing at a round, fold-out seat. 
She rummaged in a small fridge and withdrew two cold bulbs of orange juice and passed one to me. Thirsty air on this ship, she said, cracking the seal on hers. We keep using water for reaction mass as we go, which means the air is going to get drier and drier. By the time we make Mars, you're going to be as desiccated as a mummy. Drink up! She slurped at her bulb. I cracked my own and drank it. Look, I said, still feeling scared. I'm sorry if I said too much. I know I shouldn't be passing rumors. She waved at me impatiently. Forget that. That's not why you're here. Listen, David, you've been kicking ass on MC for years. You're about to start over in a new world. Start everything over. And as you've heard, things on Mars are different. Not just on Mars, but on the Mars side Martian Chronicles. Do you understand what things are like there? I think so, I said carefully. No whiners, right? No pavs succeeding on your merits. Her expression was unreadable. Amusement? Anger? Impossible to say. Yes, David, but here's the thing. There's always winners and losers. You understand that? I nodded. Sure. Even on Mars. I nodded again, more slowly. What do you mean by that? You've heard how things are on the Mars side game. I've heard... things... What things? Um, that a few companies control the whole game? That no one can get ahead unless they pay off the big guys? She nodded. That's one way of putting it. There's um, the cuckoo clock and my knapsack on my back. Somehow when I'm gone, uh, when I was gone, it seems to have uh, blown a fuse or something. I'm going to have to take it back to the shop. She nodded. That's one way of putting it. Another way of putting it is that there are some very, very successful people on Mars. These people saw the opportunity, took it, and made sure that they'd keep it for as long as they could. They're playing the game better and harder than anyone else. Wait, I said, confused. Are you talking about Martian Chronicles or Mars? She gave me that mysterious look again. There isn't really a difference on Mars. Martian Chronicles, Martian Life. Why bother coming up with a functional stock market, communication system, and banking system when MC has it all built in? Martian Chronicles was built to model the kind of society that Mars Inc. and Mars Colony were hoping to build. Why wouldn't you use it as a template for the actual Mars Colony? I tried to take this all in. But it's just a game. She looked impatient. Just a game? What is any of this except a game? Why am I dressed up like a member of some kind of space navy? Why do people who have all the money they could ever spend try to earn more? Why don't you stab your friend when he gets on your nerves? It's all a game. It's all rules. It's all play. It may not always be fun, but games aren't just about fun. I struggled to get my mind around this. The game is life on Mars? Her impatience grew. Look, David, I'm talking to you today because I thought you'd be a smart kid. If you're just going to sit there boggling at me, you can go back to your quarters. Get with the program, will you? Now I felt scared again. Okay, okay, I see. The game is life. Life is the game. Got you. Good. Now, when we flip the antennas around, you're going to get your account on the Martian servers, and you're going to start over as a total noob. You're going to have to figure out how to survive in a game that's plenty rougher than any you've ever played. There's a pretty good chance that it's going to chew you up and spit you out. It's going to do that to a lot of you. And as you know, I'm in charge of heading off whining, making sure it doesn't happen. So I'm here to help you avoid getting into the kind of situation where you'll be whining. I couldn't figure out what she was talking about, but I didn't want to seem dumb, so I kept my mouth shut and nodded. Here's the thing. There's a thousand colonists headed to Mars. You're going to double Mars's population. 
But let's be frank here. You're latecomers. The people who've been Mars side for 10 years, those people took a much bigger risk than you're taking, so they're earning a greater reward, too. That's only fair. It's a meritocracy, after all. But I know people. They whine. They complain. Even colonists. Especially colonists, when they discover that colonial life is harder than they reckoned for. And when colonists get too exercised about their bad luck, well, let's just say that on Mars, as on Earth, there are plenty of people willing to take by force that which they can't earn by their wits. And we can't have that. We especially can't have that when a thousand new chums are fresh off the boat. That's a volatile situation. My mouth was dry. I drank more OJ. It tasted metallic, like everything on the ship, having been reconstituted with water from the ship's condensers. Sounds... mm, complicated. It's not complicated, she said. She managed to make me feel stupid every time she spoke. It's simple. The thing is, we want to head off any feeling that new colonists can't make it on Mars. We need an example of how fair things can be, if you're the right kind of plucky adventurer with the right entrepreneurial spirit. We need a poster child for success in the second wave. This isn't complicated, David. I reached for the OJ, but the bulb was empty. So, I stopped. You want to set me up as what? As a success? She smiled condescendingly. We're going to start up D-Boss Corp. on Mars. It will be a very successful corp from the get-go. You'll have lots of great contracts in hand the second you make Mars fall. These contracts will pay off big and bigger. You can hire your friends. Hell, you can hire your father. You will be a symbol of the fairness of Martian society. You'll have some silent investors who will help you get by, starting you out with decent capital and contacts, and who will take a piece of the action. This is a good deal, David. You've proved that you can build a business once before. It's absolutely plausible that you do it again. And having a 15-year-old millionaire is going to be great news. Everyone's going to go nuts for it. You'll be a hero. The word millionaire hit me like an electric jolt, made me understand the scope of what was being discussed here. Laney, I said, and it came out in a croak. Laney, that's really, really wonderful, but... She cocked her head. I'm surprised that there's a but here, David. This isn't the kind of opportunity that comes along very often. I thought you were a businessman, the kind of person who sees the moment. Hell, we did a lot of research on this, went deep on all the colonists. There were 50 potential candidates, but you were the clear winner. Were we wrong? I remembered who I had been, what I had been. Deboss Corp was one of the biggest, most successful corps in the history of MC. I built it with fair play, hard work, and smarts. And luck, of course. I wasn't just a little kid. I was a success. I was smart. I had done something extraordinary. And I didn't let anyone push me around. I sat up straighter. Laney, you've made your offer, but I don't make snap decisions. I think things over. This is no exception. I'll get back to you. She nodded and dropped her offended expression. Okay, that's fair. Mind, if you say a word about this to anyone, I'll push you out the airlock. She smiled when she said it, but not very much. Ha ha. Only serious. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. 
Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week.